Well, I want to welcome everyone in all of our auditoriums in Greenfield and Oak Creek and those who are tuning in via technology online, wherever you're at. Thanks for spending part of your day here with us. Today, we are wrapping up a series that uh, we've been spending some time in called The Chase. And we've been talking about this idea of how we chase after different things. And for some of us, maybe it's a person, you know, we would chase after a relationship with them. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a possession. But we chase after it because we think, hey, when we get this, it's going to bring us some level of happiness. But what we discover ultimately is that when we get what we've been chasing after, it doesn't really live up to the hype always because our circumstances change and our happiness is dependent on our circumstances. And so what we've discovered is that when our levels of circumstances change, our levels of happiness change right along with it. And so we've wondered, hey, is there something more or better that we can chase after? And we said, yes, there is. And what that is, is this idea of joy. Now, the reason why joy, there's more to it and why it's better than happiness, is that actually joy is in our control. It's not dependent on our circumstances. In fact, we can experience joy just by being a follower of Jesus. And the way that we describe joy throughout the series is that joy is just this deep sense that I'm okay no matter what's happening around me. And so our goal for us, as we've kind of worked through this together, is that we would not only discover what joy is, but that we would also experience more of it in our lives. And so we took these last eight weeks, and we spent some time just kind of working through this book of the New Testament uh, that that, uh, is called Philippians. And the interesting thing about Philippians is it's not even really a book, although, you know, it's kind of found in the Bible. It's actually a letter that was written by an early church leader, a guy named Paul, and he wrote it to this church living in this ancient city of Philippi, which uh, is now kind of like in present day uh, Greece. But uh, what he did in this letter, he is actually writing this from prison, uh, and he was put in prison unfairly, and he talks about joy more than any other book in the entire Bible. And so we see, because of his situation, we can have joy. It's just proof that we can have joy regardless of what's happening around us. And so as we've been working through this, what we've been doing is we've actually been pulling out these principles found in the book of Philippians, and we've been applying them to our lives so that we can experience more joy. And I have to say, uh, the stories that we've been hearing uh, from, from some individuals who've said, I've never read the Bible before, but I've been reading through Philippians, and it's been great. And we've also been hearing from Ridge groups that have been discussing through this and kind of taking these principles and putting them into practice. And they're like, wow, we've been experiencing a lot more joy. And even for me personally, this has been a really great series because what I've discovered over the series is that I've been allowing some things, some things like the pain in my past and some things like the anxiety that I deal with, I've been letting that suck the joy right out of me. And what I've been discovering personally as I've been going through this is that we can have joy even in the midst of pain from the past and even in the midst of anxiety. Now, if you're new with us, This may feel a little bit like you're coming in at the end of the movie, and you're like, oh, I missed so much. What did I miss? Well, well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. You don't have to miss out on on this. What you can do is you can go online or download our app, or if you listen to podcasts at all when you're working out or driving or wherever, just uh, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get podcasts, and you can catch up and put those principles into place as well and experience more joy uh, for yourself. Now today... We're going to wrap all of this up with just me just sharing two words that can change our perspective when it comes to joy. 
In fact, when we look at all the difficult things that are going on all around us, for some of us, these might be some difficult situations or they might be some tough relationships that we have at work or maybe at home with our kids or a significant other. Maybe it's with our neighbor. Uh, but we have these difficult things going on and we're wondering, how can I have joy in that? Well, I, I'm just going to share with us two words that have the potential to change our perspective and our outlook on these circumstances or uh, relationships. Now, if I were you, I would be asking this question, because I know I'd be asking this question if I were you, and, and that is, two words? Really? Like, can two words really change an outlook that much? Like, maybe, maybe like a, a TED Talk, or maybe a podcast, or maybe even a chapter in a book, maybe that has the potential to kind of like change our perspective on different things, but two words, really, can two words make that big of a difference in our perspective and our outlook on things. Well, let me just share with us just a couple examples of two words that have the potential to change our perspective uh, in a lot of different ways. So, so for example, what about the two words, Packers win? How does that change our perspective? Now, for many of us, that'll be a very good change of perspective. But if you're like me and you're a Bears fan from Illinois, it does not change your perspective. Well, it changes it just in a very bad way. Or we can look at these two words, summer's here. How does that change our perspective? It's very good. Great weather, vacations, time off of work, very good. Or these two words, you're hired. That would change our perspective. You got a new job, new situation. For some of us, we're like, yes, that would be so helpful. I can provide for myself and my family uh, in the ways that I wanted. Or we can look at the story of this couple. That is, they're kind of like moving through the different stages of their relationship. We could see how two words change, uh, change from one stage to another. So it starts off like this, where he notices she's cute. And so he decides, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a move, and, and I'm going to ask her out. And he gets the dreaded two words that no guy wants to hear, just friends. But our guy is persistent, and he asks her out again and again and again, and eventually it leads to date night. And date night goes well. In fact, then it'll lead to another date night, another date night, and then eventually they've reached the phase in their relationship where they say, we're in love. And it's gotten serious, and now it's this relationship. They're talking about their future, and they're wondering, hey, how is this going to progress? And he eventually makes the decision to ask her the question, marry me. And now they're engaged in their situation. It's changing again, and they're counting down the days till they eventually then say these two words, I do. And now the situation and the outlook in their life is very, very different. The circumstances are completely changed. And then after some period of time, she says the phrase that always changes our outlook on, on, on life. And that's the phrase, I'm pregnant. And so the outlook is changing perspectives. He's probably breathing into a paper bag, like, okay, how's this, how's this going to work out? And so they ask the question, well, we got, we got to figure out what, what we're going to do. So they go and, and find out well, what they're having, and they find out they're having, it's triplets. <laughs> and now they're like, oh, wow, now what do we do with that? And, and because it's three, it just leads to what we would just come to expect, the next phase of their life where they just say, we're broke. <laughs> Two words just have that potential to change our outlook, to change our, per, our, our perspective on any circumstance or any relationship. And so let me just uh, share with us just two words that can change the outlook of our difficult situations and our relationships. And here are the two words. Thank you. That's it. 
thank you. It's an expression of gratitude. See, earlier in the series, uh, we, we talked about this idea that we just kind of had this natural leaning towards complaining. In fact, there's this old story of this guy who decided he was going to be a monk. And so he goes to this monastery, and uh, he meets this head friar, and they talk through, well, what is this going to look like? And the head friar tells him, you are going to take a vow of silence. You are only going to get two words to speak an entire year. And the guy's like, okay, I'll I'll make that. And so he goes throughout the entire year. He doesn't say anything. Year is up. He goes to the head friar. The head friar's like, okay, you got two words. What is it you have to say? And he says, bed hard. And so he's like, okay, well, you got another year staying in the monastery. So, okay, so he goes and spends another year in silence, comes back at the end of that year. He's like, okay, what do you have to say now? He says, room cold. It's like, all right, well, you got, got another year. So he goes and spends another year in silence, comes back two years, uh, or not another year, it's like two words. And he's like, okay, what, what do you have to say? He says, food bad. <laughs> all right, another year of silence, comes back after the fourth year. He's like, what two words do you have to say? And he says, I quit. <laughs> Guy's like, Makes sense. I mean, you've done nothing but complain since ever you got in here. Just to complain, complain, complain. Now, that's a silly story, but, but it, it just kind of hones in the idea that we just have this natural leaning towards complaining. And it, and it makes sense when you think about it because we complain when our expectations aren't met. And we think, hey, if I complain when my expectations aren't met, I'll get what I want to get my expectations and then I'll be happy. But what we discover is we can't be happy because our happiness levels are always changing. Our circumstances are always changing. And that's why Paul talks about throughout his letter, he's like, hey, give up these ideas of complaining and grumbling and arguing and just chase after joy. And he talks about joy more than 16 times in this letter of Philippians. He's like, here's how you experience joy. Always have joy. And then towards the end of this letter, he just does something that is so fascinating with joy. He takes this whole concept of joy And he takes this concept of gratitude, and he just ties them together. And he says these two things, they are not mutually exclusive. He's like, these two things, they come together. You can't have one without the other. In fact, as he moves towards the end of this letter, it's such a rich passage. For some of us, this might feel familiar. But he he speaks into this idea of joy and gratitude. And he starts it off like this. He says, I have learned how to be content. And this is such an amazing phrase. In fact, this this time, uh, for for, uh, the word that he used for content, this is the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. And what it means is it means to literally be satisfied regardless with whatever is going on. And and it's such an amazing claim. Like, Paul, how how did you learn that? Like, I want to know the secret to be satisfied with whatever is going on. And the good news for us is if Paul has learned it, It's something that we can learn as well. And so he moves on with this idea. He says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, this last phrase here, uh, Philippians 4.13, this may be a popular phrase for some of us. This verse is what I call the athlete's verse. And here's what I mean by that. There's times that I've seen athletes kind of do some incredible things. Maybe they won a game-winning shot, or uh, maybe Olympians have won a medal. And often they'll get interviewed by the the broadcaster at the end. They say, how did you do that? 
And, and some athletes who are followers of Jesus will quote this verse. They'll say, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And that's the reason why I won. In fact, maybe we even remember Tim Tebow, you know, before he took the field. He put the markers underneath his eyes and he would paint this verse underneath it. Is This is the way I'm going to win. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, a question that I always have with that is, well, what if two players from opposing teams are claiming that verse and they're using that? Like, how does God choose who's going to win there? I'm not entirely sure, you know, as they're kind of going at it there. But, but what Paul is, he's writing this. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to use Jesus to kind of power up and win. But what he's saying, when it comes to contentment, the strength that Jesus has given him is the strength to be satisfied and to be content regardless whether if he's winning or losing. And if we're real honest, it's hard to be content nowadays, especially since we have social media. Because what social media allows us to do is it allows us to see all the highlight reels going on with those around us and see all the good things that are going on in their lives. And we just kind of tend to notice, oh, hey, look at that person, how they lost 20 pounds in three days. Or look at that amazing vacation that that person just went on. Or look at what uh, that person's kid and the other achievement that they just already got. And look at his promotion and look what they were able to do. Look at the new car. Look at the new house that they got. And we're able to see all of their highlight reels. And it's just highlight reel after highlight reel after highlight reel. But here's what we know. Our lives are not highlight reels. And so what happens is we kind of take all of our behind-the-scenes stuff and we look at everyone's highlight reels, and it kind of leads to this comparison trap. And what happens is we kind of look at all of what's going on in their lives, and we look at our lives, and we start thinking, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't make enough. Maybe I'm not pretty enough or beautiful enough, or maybe I'm just not enough. And what happens is we look at all that's going on in our lives, and we wouldn't say that we're content, but rather we are discontent. Or in other words, ungrateful. And when we're ungrateful, it can take us down this dangerous path that leads us to a very unhealthy place called envy. And probably the best definition of envy I've heard is from a pastor, Mike Bro, who defined envy like this. Envy is resenting God's goodness in someone else's life while ignoring his goodness in my own. And we may have often heard of envy being referred to as the green-eyed what? Monster. Not the green monster in Fenway. You know, this is something totally different. But this is the green-eyed monster. And, and, and though we call it a monster, often how we approach envy is just like something is like that we've all kind of just kind of deal with from time to time. Like, it's almost like no big deal. Like, yeah, you know, I envy, you know, and so does everyone else. And it's kind of like a childish white lie. It's not that big of a deal. You know, can, can we just move on? And while we might not think of it as much of a big a deal, I want us to notice how Paul puts envy in perspective in a list that he wrote to another uh, group of followers of Jesus, where he said, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, our word, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. My bet is that most of us would not put envy and murder side by side as equal offenses. But that is where Paul, he put envy right next to hate and murder in this list. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, envy, it's a big deal. 
It can lead us to a very unhealthy place, and it could lead to disastrous results. Because what envy can do is the first thing it can do is it can ruin our health. And studies have been backing this up for years, that, that it's almost impossible to be dealing with envy and be a healthy person at the same time. And, and here's why. Because when we are dealing with envy, it's a sign of, of us dealing with being uh, ungrateful. And our gratitude is tied to our joy. And so when we're dealing with envy, our joy is being sucked out of us. And when our, our joy is being sucked out of us, our inner peace goes away with it. And when our inner peace is gone, anxiety and worry begin to settle in. And we talked about anxiety earlier in the series, but when anxiety and worry just begin to settle in, it robs us of our sleep, and then our nerves begin to tighten up, and then it just causes pain all throughout our body. It just kind of begins to eat away inside of us, and we feel pain in our head and all throughout our body and our stomachs, and, and we just see our health just beginning to go away. And studies and science have been showing that this is the case for, for years. But even before science showed this, uh, thousands of years ago, even thousands of years before Jesus, Solomon uh, wrote about this. He said, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Well, how do you have peace? We have peace by having joy. And joy is tied to our gratitude. And, and when we're ungrateful, it leads to envy, and we just feel it just ruining our health uh, from the inside out. But envy just doesn't ruin our health. Envy also ruins our relationships. Because if we go back to our definition of what envy is, envy is resenting the good that's going on in other people's lives while ignoring the good in our own. And when we're dealing with envy, what happens is we end up finding ourselves kind of in this comparison trap where we try to compare and compete with those around us uh, just to make sure that we, we're good enough. Although those around us, they don't realize we're in a competition. I kind of think of it like this, and this is going to be a little mass confession here, but I think many of us, we can relate to this, and that is whenever I'm at the gym, and I'm at the gym, and I'm running on the treadmill, or I'm on an exercise machine, and there's a similar machine right next to me, and someone gets on that machine, and they start going, and I'm going, I'll just casually kind of glance over and look at their stats. Like, how fast are they running? How long? What's their distance? And as I see what they're doing, I start adjusting my speed. And I start trying to run longer. I'm like, I'm going to beat them. You know, and I start racing against them. And they have no idea that we're racing, but, but we're racing. And I'm like, I'm, we're, we're going to win. And the comparison trap works the very same way where we say, I'm going to go after this and I'm going to compete and compare, even though they don't even realize we're in a competition. And Solomon had something to say about this as well. He said, then I observed that most people are motivated to success by their envy of their neighbors. This is what's driving them says, but this too is meaningless, like chasing after the wind. And what's really interesting about Solomon writing this is that if we were to look at every category that we would have for comparison, Solomon would actually win. Because Solomon back then, he was the uh, king of Israel. He was one of the greatest kings of Israel. He had so much power. He was known for his wisdom. He was also known for being very rich. I mean, Solomon had it all. But he said, when it comes to this, there's no win in comparison. And, and here's why. That whenever we compare and compete, someone will win and someone else will lose. And when someone loses, the relationship will lose every single time. Because you can't have a relationship that will win if someone is losing. And that's how envy, it will ruin our relationships. 
Now, I'm not overstating this. This is a big deal. Because if we were to go back all the way to the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, what we discover, it was their ingratitude, which led to their envy, uh, to cause their relationship with God uh, to, to break. Now, if, if you're not familiar with the story, how, how it works is God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in a place where they had everything. I mean, they had a perfect relationship with God. They had a perfect relationship with one another. The garden they lived in, it, it, it was perfect. Everything was great. Now, God just told them, he's like, Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to enjoy everything except this one fruit from the, this uh, tree that's in the middle of the garden. And that was like God's way to show them, like, I want you to choose to be in a relationship with me uh, uh, by, by following this command. But what happened is, although they had it all, Adam and Eve ended up uh, becoming ungrateful. And they decided, we want that. We want that fruit. In fact, their ungra ungratefulness uh, turned to envy. And they, they were angry at God. They were resenting God. They said, we want what God uh, um, did not give us. And so they went, and they ate from that fruit. And it brought into the world what we call sin. And sin is just whenever we go our way rather than God's way. And what sin does is sin breaks relationships. And it broke their relationship with each other, and it broke their relationship with God. And what we see as we read about this is that ingratitude really is the catalyst for our sin. Because it takes us down this place for us to resent what's going on with others and ignore the good that's going on in our life, and it leads us to breaking that relationship with God and with others. And so what Paul is doing in Philippians He's recognizing, well, if ingratitude is the catalyst for all of our sin, then perhaps gratitude could lead us to the cure. And so we get our final joy principle as we're working through Philippians. And that joy principle is, want to experience joy? Well, be grateful for what you have, rather than resentful of what others have. Because gratitude is so powerful. It just has this amazing potential to take our outlook on a difficult situation and a difficult relationship, and it just has that potential to change our perspective altogether just by being grateful. Now, this is bigger than just saying the words thank you, although saying the words thank you is a big part of this. But what this is, is this is genuinely being grateful and allowing gratitude to build in our lives because Paul just says this over and over again. Our gratitude is tied to our joy. And so what I want to do is I want to share with us a few ways that we can allow gratitude to build inside of us and allow it to grow deep inside of us. And the first way that we can do that is we start just by counting our, our blessings and recognizing the good that's going on in our lives. And, and, and back in 1897, uh, Johnson Oatman, he wrote several hymns and several songs that would try to help people uh, just continue to grow in their faith uh, with, with God. And so he wrote this one hymn that became very famous, and he actually wrote it uh, for, for young people to actually kind of uh, allow them to build gratitude in, in their lives. So if this was today, this would be like what's on the Hot 100s. Like if, if Carson Daly and TRL were back then, like, like that, this is what we'd see over and over and over again. But, but here's what he wrote. Now keep in mind, this is in 1800s language. But he said, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. He says, this is where we start. We want to recognize the good in our lives. Now, this can be difficult uh, at first uh, because it's easy for us to recognize the things that, that we don't like going on. And, and, and here's proof of that. If you're in a group of people, and if you want an icebreaker question, 
An easy icebreaker is, hey, tell us about your, your most annoying pet peeve. And people will open up and they'll just tell them, hey, here's what I don't like, here's, here's what I don't appreciate. And you can just get going for a little while. But if you take that same group of people and if you just say, hey, tell us about your biggest blessing in life. For many, it's harder to open up about that. And this can be difficult to recognize the good things that are going on in our lives. But this is where we want to start, even though it can be difficult. And so we just kind of look back and say, okay, what, what good is going on right now? And just write it down. Or if you have a phone with a note app, just go ahead and start uh, typing it out in, in, in your note app, where you just say, this is what is good is going on right now. In fact, earlier this week, I just took some time to kind of write out uh, what, what I would say is the good going on in my life right now. And, and the, the first thing I wrote down was, well, my wife and just how great she is and our relationship. I wrote down my kids, uh, Jalen and Brennan, and just so grateful uh, for, for them. Uh, the house that we get to live in. Uh, I wrote down uh, the ridge, you know, all of our campuses and all the things that we get to do together. I wrote down several friends' names and just uh, the, the friendships that we have here. And then in honor of opening weekend of baseball, I wrote down the baseball season, and specifically for me, the Chicago Cubs, and just getting to cheer them on. <laughs> I know for some of us, yeah, they're like, hey, that doesn't resonate with me. I get, I get that. I get that. It's fine. But, but this is where we want to start. And just take some time to kind of recognize, like, this is the good that, that's going on. And we just start counting our blessings one by one by one. And then it moves us to the second thing that we can do to build gratitude. And the second thing we do is we just practice saying thank you. That we find that person that we are grateful for, and we just tell them, hey, thank you uh, for, for that. If we go back to what Paul said, Paul said earlier, he said, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Well, how do we learn anything? through practice. Practice, practice, practice. Yes, Alan Iverson, we're talking about practice. But we learn everything we know through practice, whether it's shooting a free throw or playing guitar or learning how to fix a, a car or a machine. It all comes through practice, and gratitude is the same way. And So we want to practice saying thank you. Now, for some of us, what this means is we're going to actually just say the words thank you. Because maybe we haven't said them in days, weeks, or months. And so the way that we can practice it is just by saying thank you to someone that we are genuinely grateful for. Others of us, maybe we say thanks, but maybe it's kind of like this flippant thing that we kind of use to kind of end the, the conversation and move on to the next thing. And so what we want to do is we want to practice saying thank you by thanking someone specifically for what they've done. And so we could go to someone and say, hey, thank you so much for talking to me and, and uh, helping me through this problem and, and working through this. And I feel so appreciated because you did that. Hey, thank you. Or hey, thank you for helping me fix my car. Not only did you fix it, you taught me how to do it. So now I know how to do it you know, next time that, that I need to, to fix this. So, so hey, just thank you so much uh, for, for, for doing that. Others of us, what we want to do to practice saying thank you is we want to uh, create a plan to get in a regular routine to say thank you. You know, I know uh, Friday nights, uh, Jimmy Fallon is always going to write us thank you notes. And, and they're funny and, they, and we laugh, but we know every single Friday they are going to come. And, and, and because of that, a friend taught me and said, hey, here's what you want to do. Just create a recurring uh, appointment in your calendar to show up every week and use that time just to say thanks to, to two or three people that week. Write them a card or text them and just say, hey, thank you. But we just want to practice saying thank you, and that'll build the gratitude deep inside of us. And the third way that, that we can build more gratitude in us is we just find a way to remember. 
to remember the good that's going on and then being grateful uh, for, for that. If, if we read through the Old Testament part of the Bible, which is the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus, it tells the story of the ancient nation of Israel. And often what we would see them do is that they would uh, see God move and do some good things. And, and as a result, they would actually find a way to memorialize that. And they would build these altars, these big piles of rocks for them to kind of remember what God did. And so if a family went on a road trip years later and the kids saw the pile of rocks, the kid would go, hey, dad, what happened here? And the dad could tell them the story of how God moved and they would remember that and be grateful for that, even though it happened uh, some time before. Now, I'm not saying we need to go build piles of rocks everywhere. But what I am saying is we would want to find a way to remember how God has moved. And so for some of us, maybe this is keeping a journal. Others of us, maybe this is taking pictures and video and, and creating a plan to look back at that, to, to remember. Maybe for some of us in our house, we're going to dedicate a wall, you know, to, to uh, be grateful. And maybe uh, we allow our kids to write things or paint things or hang th different things to allow us to remember different uh, things, ways that God has moved so we can remember that. For me personally, this is how I use social media. I use Facebook and Instagram where I only post about uh, things that are going on at the church and things that are going on with my family and things that I want to remember. And I just love going back later and just kind of scrolling through my feed and going, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. Remember when that happened. And just uh, allow that to build gratitude in, inside of me because Paul just ties these ideas again and again and again. And what we learn is that whenever a thank you is possible, Joy is possible. In fact, uh, another letter, he uh, uh, writes about this again. He ties these two ideas together again, where he says, always be joyful. He's writing to followers of Jesus. He says, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And often we get the question, well, how do I know what God's plan is for me? How do I know what God's will is for, for me? And, and Paul makes it very clear. So like, if you want to know what God's plan is for you, here's what it is. Always have this deep sense that you're okay, no matter what is going on around you. And this comes when we live in relationship with God and we're always communicating back and forth with him. And then we want to express gratitude regardless of what's going on because our gratitude is tied to our joy. And when we do this, we are living out God's will and God's purpose uh, for our lives. See, as we are wrapping up this series, we've been on this chase after joy. But some of the things that we've spent some time talking about sound almost anything but joyful. As we've talked about hurts in the past and regrets and anxiety. And what we've discovered is that we don't just have joy in the absence of pain but we can even have joy while we're experiencing pain altogether. In fact, uh, there, there's a story uh, of a man that I've just gotten to know over the years, and as I've gotten to know him, and as I've gotten to see some of the things that he's just kind of dealing with in his life, but yet his outlook on it altogether, I'm like, wow, this guy, he just really embodies joy. And, and Dave was just so gracious enough to share his story with us. Um, and, and I just invite you to check out his story on the screen. When people come to the front door when I'm greeting and they say, oh, I'm late, I tell them, you're not late. I was 46 years late. You're not close to late. My name is Dave. I'm a care pastor 
at the Ridge Community Church in Greenfield. I spent 36 years in the car business. In the car business, there's a lot of loose language, and I was the king of loose language. Um, but, but going to the Ridge, um, once I became a follower of Jesus, you know, I never told myself I'm gonna quit swearing. I just quit swearing. Um, you know, my life has changed uh, immensely uh, since I became a follower of Jesus. And I, I mean, I, I, I say to people, do you believe who I am? And they don't, you know, because they knew who I was. One day, uh, Jason asked me if uh, I ever thought about being a pastor. And I kind of shocked, looked around and asked if he was talking to me. And um, he said, no, really, I'm serious. And I really didn't think he was serious. And I said, no, I really never thought about it. He said, well, I'd like you to go home and pray about it, talk to your wife about it, and think about it. Finally, I, I just said, I can't do this myself. And I said to God, I said, but well, I can do this if you're right next to me. And um, I made that statement, and about five minutes later, I was in my car, and I drove down here. I told Jason that I would do this, and um, this huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. And um, I just never would believe that I could do this. Um, I didn't think I was smart enough. I think I was holy enough. Um, but I pinch myself every day now because I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor at this church. And um, that's just changed my life. God is using me in positive ways like he never has before. But he is also challenging me. I haven't slept in my bed since July. Um, I had my um, surgery done on this arm, on my right arm, and they they took my nerves and my tendons and moved them from one section of the arm to another. And then I've had an issue with vertigo, so I'm going to therapy for that. And in therapy, it tells me not only to not lay in a recliner, don't recline, now you have to sleep sitting up in a chair. So those issues are challenges to work through, but they never stop me from doing what I love to do most. That's be here. I don't quite frankly think about the, the challenges that my health issues have put me through. Um, because when you start out your morning with God and you pray during the day as many times as I like to do, I'm in constant contact with God. So my issues haven't been an issue. I ask him sometimes to relieve the pain in my arm. I ask him sometimes to, you know, get me uh, through the day without spinning and throwing up from vertigo. Um, but it, it, for me, when I ask God for something, um, it just gets done. God just, God just blesses me. I think it could be hard to, to show gratitude sometimes when, when life is pounding on you every single day. But be blessed for what you have. Be blessed for the situation that you're in. God works some of his best miracles when we're at our hardest times. But we get stronger as we go through that.
And with God on our side, we can, we can get through every single situation. Clap for Dave. You know, one of the things that uh, Dave didn't share in his story because he, he's so humble and he's so he, he loves being behind the scenes and doesn't uh, talk about this a lot. Uh, but when, before he actually joined our team as a care pastor, uh, he, he knew that there were some, some facility needs um, at, at our campuses. And so he joined our team as a facilities person. And uh, he just took great pride in, in, and just loved making sure that our facilities just looked really great, really clean to welcome all of our guests here. And he, and he just made that his personal mission to just get everything buttoned up before uh, guests would arrive. And so you'd, you'd come in and you'd see him just uh, pushing a broom around, pushing a mop around, uh, wa- wiping things down with a washcloth. And, and uh, you talk to him and you know that, that he was just dealing with the effects of the pain in his arm and the vertigo. And, and, and he was just carrying that around with him. And, and you just ask, hey, Dave, how are you doing? Dave, how are you doing? And every single time he would look at you, he'd smile and just say, I'm happy to be here. And, and that's just joy that regardless of whatever you're dealing with, you have this deep sense, you know what, I'm, I'm okay, no matter what's going around me. And, and what Paul wrote, and what Dave has experienced, and I know what many of us at our campuses have experienced, and, and what we hope that all of us would experience, is that joy is possible, regardless of the tough circumstances, and regardless of the tough relationships. And so my hope, and my prayer for us, is that we would experience joy, that we would always be joyful, because of the power and the strength that Jesus has given us, and that we can be always thankful, we can always have gratitude, because of Jesus, we have gotten what we have chased after, and that is joy. Let me pray for us. God, you are so good in the fact that that you... You want more for us. You want better for us than happiness. God, you, your will for us is that we would discover and experience joy. Because God, when we experience this, there's just something about it that, it, that is just so great. And there's just that peace that comes with it. God, that we know that when we embody joy like that, others will be drawn to you because they're like, yeah, I want to experience joy. I want to experience joy. And so, God, would you just build the gratitude inside of us? Because, God, uh, as Paul showed us here, we, we cannot have joy without gratitude. And so, God, would you just build that inside of us? God, would you allow us to express gratitude to you and to those around us? And, God, we thank you for the possibility to have joy regardless of whether things are going good or not so good. And that's the only way that that's possible is because of your son, Jesus, and what he has done for us when he went to the cross and to rise again so that we can have a relationship with you. We are so grateful for that, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.